one given in life is authority figures and not just God who is the ultimate authority but actually people who have been given authority by God and power over others basically so human authorities and they've been given that power for the common good I think of government and national and civic leaders lawmakers, law enforcers but also parents and teachers and administrators, um, even coaches and referees. It's football season, so hey, uh, we, and umpires with baseball. But people who are granted authority to help others, keeping the peace amongst sinful people. But I have a vision for Christ's church and specifically for Grace Church of Orange, where we, that we would live under God's authority, fully under His authority, as the Bible tells us, as aliens, as strangers, as sojourners, as citizens of heaven, as citizens of God's kingdom, who are the best possible citizens of our earthly cities. I think kingdom kingdom citizens should be the best possible citizens of their earthly cities. My vision is that we would be changed by the gospel and that we would we would willingly and, and lovingly and even joyfully serve God's purposes for Orange and, and for the nations. But the problem is, and this is where uh, our, 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 some of our main problems come from, is that because of our sinful bent, because of our sinful pride, we resist authority. We resist God's authority and we resist human authority. And sometimes we resist human authority because they misuse their authority, and other times just because we don't like them. I've said it before, but life in Christ is a process of learning that you're not boss, that Jesus is. And so the series that we're in um, today and really for the next six weeks, because this is week two of an eight-week series, is called Unrivaled, Christ's Authority in a Rebel World. And, and part two today is called Honoring God by Honoring Man. And what I'm talking about is honoring human authority. What I'm talking about is yielding to God-given authority figures in our lives. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22. We're taking a huge leap ahead in Matthew from chapter 21, the middle of 21, all the way to chapter 22. So stand with me, and we're going to read Matthew 22, 15 through 22. By the way, this question of honoring God by honoring man, if we settle the question, you know, what did Jesus say about God honoring uh, authorities that are put over us? If we settle this question, most of our problems will be settled on earth because many of our problems have to do with our issues with authority. Matthew 22, beginning at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, 
Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that you are our ultimate authority. We pray, Lord, that you would would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word today. Lord, that we would grasp the, the, what you're getting at here and that we would have your grace to obey what you say. And we pray, Lord, that it would be for your glory and the good of the world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're making this huge jump ahead in Matthew, one chapter. And you know what I, when I have, I've handled Matthew's gospel, we have gone verse by verse by verse, section by section. We have not jumped like this. So this is a, a huge leap for us. I realize for others it isn't. But this being the 133rd sermon in this, in this Matthew series over the last four years or so, it might be a little bit of a shock to you that we're not taking the very next passage. But I think what I, what, what the, the good part about this is that we, we leap ahead a bit Settle a question that if we get settled, we will receive what Jesus says about his authority in the rest of 21 and then 22 in a whole different light. So that's the, probably the biggest reason I want us to jump ahead. The last time we were, we were um, talking about Jesus' authority, and now we're talking about the authority that he gives to mankind. And how do we deal with that? Even when that authority might be godless, what do you do? Let me give you the context of where we've been, Matthew 21. Jesus' authority was being questioned. He had shown up in Jerusalem. He had cleansed the temple. He had healed. He had come in as the king, and his authority was being questioned. In fact, the religious leaders of the Jews were saying, who gave you the right to do what you're doing? And so we come to, to chapter 22, and it's still going on. What we skipped over and what we'll go back to are three parables that Jesus spoke that show that he is the ultimate authority. But here in chapter 22, beginning at verse 15, we see his arch rivals, we see his his nemesis, the, the Pharisees, coming at him once again, and this time they're coming to him with an evil test. You know, the religious leaders' issues that were going on were power issues and pride issues and an and extreme prejudice towards Jesus. It was a problem for us, too, when we insist on going our own way, when we persist in unbelief, when, when we display an unwillingness to follow God's clear commands. It's an issue for us when we are happy to continue in unrepentant living. And so God wants us to align himself ourselves with him to acknowledge his his authority and yield control to him and align ourselves with him and and love his word but the pharisees weren't doing this they they came to jesus with an evil test and it says in verse 15 that they went and plotted they they got together and planned out they schemed they 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 were trying to entangle jesus in his talk it's interesting to note that what they were doing here is acknowledging his authority to, to some extent because they realized the only way they were going to trip him up is if they got him in something he said. They'd already tried in something he had done, but now they're dealing with maybe we can get his words to kind of collide and we can accuse him in some way. 
So they come to him with an evil test. They are plotting evil, but they knew that Jesus knew them, and so they sent someone else to do their task. They've counseled to trap him, trying to get him into a catch-22 between a rock and a hard place, but they don't go themselves. They send their disciples. And not just their disciples, but they send the Herodians. Now, we don't know a lot about the Herodians, but what we do know, we know from their name. They were partisans of Herod. They were followers of Herod. That's why they're called Herodians. They were pro-Rome sympathizers. They openly supported the reigning family of Herod. They were bitter enemies of the Pharisees. They hated each other, but they hated Jesus more. Hatred makes strange bedfellows, and here you've got the Herodians with the Pharisees. It's like oil and water, and they're coming to Jesus to test him, coming with an evil plan. So they, they call him teacher, trying to butter him up. Think about it. When you try to butter someone up, you try to give them some props. You try to say some good things about them, though you don't mean them. It's kind of like when you were in college and you wanted a better grade, so you knew you had this assistant professor, but you called them doctor. Maybe I just did that. Oh, Dr. Smith. Well, I'm just a, a TA, you know. Oh, okay, Dr. Smith, whatever you say, because I want a better grade. You're buttering Jesus up by calling him teacher, giving him fake respect, and they lied to t- while they were telling the truth. They were flattering him. They were trying to get something or, or take something away. So they were giving truth for the wrong reason. Look what they said. Teacher, we know that you are true. That's true. And we know that you teach the way of God truthfully. That's true. And, and you don't care about anyone's opinion. That's true. And you're not swayed by appearances. All true. All good things to say about Jesus. But they didn't mean it. They're buttering him up. Teacher, oh, you're so great. So here's what you do when you want to flatter someone. You say, hey, can you give me your wisdom about something? Now, they didn't want his wisdom. They wanted to trick him. They wanted to trap him. They said, tell us what you think. And here's the question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That was a question that demanded a yes or no answer. Is it right to do this or not? So they're thinking that they've painted him completely into a corner where he's going to get caught either way. And they ask about taxes. There's a lot of negative emotions about taxes. I don't know anyone who pays less tax than they think they should pay. Any, everyone I know thinks they pay too much. It's been that way since the beginning of taxes. And, and basically, here he's talking about paying the poll tax. Literally, what was known as the head tax. If you were alive, they counted your head, and you had to pay. Someone had to pay for you. It was the tax that, that was going to be brought on the people at the time when Jesus was born, that Mary and Joseph were going to be counted in the census. They were counting so they could tax them. So is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar? Now, of all the taxes in the Roman Empire, this was the most blatant evidence of submission to Rome. If you paid this tax, you were saying, I am under Rome's authority. Zealots in that day said that the poll tax was dishonoring to God. 
It was a badge of slavery to pagans, they said. They said, is it right to pay tax to Caesar or not? Caesar was the family name of Julius Caesar. But by that time in history, it had become a title. And so in the Bible, you've got Augustus Caesar being referred to in Luke chapter 2. Tiberius Caesar in Luke chapter 3. Claudius Caesar in Acts 17. Even Nero in Acts 25. But here they are referring to Tiberius Caesar. And it's a trap. They want Jesus to alienate either a large portion of the population or commit treason against Rome. And so if he said yes, he would alienate the Jews. Yes, it's, it's bad to pay taxes to Caesar because he's a pagan ruler who wants to be worshipped as God. It's, he's godless. It's, it's wrong to pay tax to Caesar. If he says that, he alienates the Jews. If he says no, he alienates the Herodians. Verse 18, he gives them an all-knowing response. Here's the question, is it right? And he says, what are you doing putting me to the test, you hypocrites? He says, you are a bunch of fakers. You are giving me imitation respect. Which is worse, by the way, than imitation cheese. Imitation respect. You are hypocrites. Jesus knew what was in man. He knew their motives. He knew their, it says he knew their malice, literally their wickedness. He knew how, how, how messed up their hearts really were. So he gives them a righteous request, and I love what Jesus does here. He literally turns the tables on them with a sentence. He becomes the questioner. Now Jesus is in charge. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Now give me the coin. Show me the coin. And they obey him. I love it. They obey Jesus' request, and, and he says, bring me a denarius. That was the coin that was that was. Um, minted just for the poll tax it, it had the face of a live ruler on it in this case Tiberius Caesar who was worshipped as God on one side of the coin was his, his face with the inscription Tiberius Caesar son of the divine Augustus blasphemous on the other side of the coin the words Pontifex Maximus the Jews would have understood that to mean high priest another blasphemy towards God so he tells them show me the denarius and he asks them whose picture is on this who's on it verse 20 who whose picture is on this is a rhetorical question they knew whose was on it and they say and I can imagine them saying in unison Caesar's maybe the Jews were thinking Caesar's and the Herodians were going Caesar's and he says to them, okay then, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. It's a very well-known statement. People who don't even know the Bible know that statement. It's been twisted to say all sorts of things. What does it mean? Well, first I need you to see the, the difference between the verbs in verse 17 and verse 21. When they questioned him, they said, is it okay to give the tax to Caesar? The Greek word they used were, was a word that, that referred to a gift that could be withheld, that was all right to be withheld. Is it okay to basically, of your own free will, give this to Caesar? And Jesus' reply 
he doesn't use the same word. He uses the word translated render. And what that means is you pay what is rightfully due. That it is your duty to pay this tax. It is your obligation. It is not an option. It can't be withheld. It is a requirement. It's a big difference. So Jesus is upping the ante here. And he says, you render to Caesar what he deserves. He's asking for the tax. Give him the coin. It's got his face on it. It's his. So we have to ask the question, what is Caesar's and what is God's? Well, what is Caesar's? What is Caesar's is anything in his realm. What is Caesar's is anything within his oversight. His areas of oversight. The idea is if you enjoy the benefits of a government, you should give to that government that which rightly belongs to them, such as taxes that they ask for. So the idea for us is don't withhold your taxes from the U.S. government. Now don't pay too much. Don't pay what you... I don't know anyone who would say, you know, I think I'm going to send in an extra thousand this year because, you know, hey, just to help them out because I know there's some people that are cheating on their taxes. See, I would say don't pay too little and don't pay too much. Don't withhold, but if you got a deduction, take it. <laughs> what is Caesar's is anything in his realm. But what is God's? What is God's? Everything. What is God's is everything. His realm is everywhere. The idea that Jesus is really boiling it down to, and he's really exposing the fact that they weren't worshiping God. Here's the idea. Honor Caesar, but worship God. Never worship Caesar. He's holding a coin. Here's the Son of God, God in the flesh, God incarnate, holding the coin of a, of a pretend God, of a so-called God letting himself be proclaimed as a god Caesar was okay with these coins Jesus is saying honor Caesar but worship me and get it straight get it clear the idea was that everything that was Caesar's was God's but not everything that was God's was Caesar's Jesus here is laying down the proper relationship of his people to government to human authorities, basically. The idea was they were heirs of the kingdom of God. They were heirs of Christ's kingdom. But he was telling them, at the same time, you maintain your allegiance to your earthly rulers. Don't ignore them. Now, where Caesar claims what is God's, the claims of God have precedence. They have priority. The main idea here in the context of human authority is we honor God as we honor man. We honor God as we honor man. When you are a worshiper of God in Christ, you can most appropriately honor Caesar. Jesus is exposing the fact that they didn't appropriately worship God. They were all mixed up. Now their response in verse 22 they marveled. They were amazed. They were blown away by what Jesus said. They were demanding a yes or no, and he gave them a different answer. It's interesting that they, were, that they marveled, and then they left him and went away. 
I want you to see what we read about this situation in Luke. Luke chapter 20, verse 19. Same story. It says, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at, the very hour, at that very hour. They had perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies. So their disciples and the Herodians were spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said. And so they asked, they went through the whole thing and he perceives their craftiness and he tells them to show them his denarius. He makes the statement, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. And it says that they were not able, verse 26, in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. He shut up the ignorance of foolish men. Interesting though, later, some of his enemies lied to pretend their plan had worked. Look at Luke 23, verse 2. This is where they bring him before Pilate, before the cross. Pilate was going to deliver him to be crucified. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to give, a, to give tribute to Caesar. Forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. They lied about him. But how can this be that we honor God as we honor man? How can it be? How does this work out? Well, the first thing is that you've got to understand that everything is God's. If you understand that everything is God's, you can understand how this can be that we honor God as we honor man. Romans 11:36 says that from him and to him and through him are all things. Colossians chapter 1 and a beautiful portrayal of Christ uh, tells us some, some very specific things that we do well to, to mark down and to, to make sure they are deeply impressed upon our hearts and our minds. Colossians 1 verse 15. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together everything is God's how can this be? it's because everything is God's and because God is the one that grants authority God is the giver of authority look at Romans 13 Romans 13 and verse 1 the Apostle Paul said, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I love this about the Word of God and about the Gospel, that it can go into every culture at any time. Anyone who has ever heard these words are under these words. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Every person in every country, every person in every, under any regime, it applies. But we find out that it's not an absolute command, but it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a relative command. How so? Because it is assuming good rulership. Read on with me. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. That's assuming the ruler is good. 
Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. So the idea here is that this command, be subject to the governing authorities, because no authority except from God, means that the, it's assuming that there's good authority being wielded, being exercised. It can be because everything is God's and God's grants authority and we serve God. Quite simply, if you look at Colossians chapter 3 in the context of, of our households and in the context of our, our work lives, whatever God has given us to do, what does it say? It says, whatever you do, do it from your heart. Not for men, but for the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So if you work for the the American government, you can say, if you're a believer, I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If you work for an ungodly leader whose whose policies even are, are not what you believe, you can say, if you're a believer... I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is God's, and God grants authority, and we serve God. And really, Jesus' teaching here is speaking to where we live. It can be applied, really, wherever we run into people in authority. So you can apply it to the government. We have a president, and governors, and senators, and congressmen and so on and so forth you can apply it to the community in which you live there you probably have a mayor and a a city council and and there are policemen and and fire and and so on you can apply it in a educational setting there are there are teachers and administrators you can apply it in the church there are pastors and elders and and leaders and you can apply it in your family there are husbands there are parents You can apply it out in the marketplace. There are owners and managers and board members and supervisors. You can even apply it into sports, yes. Coaches, referees, umpires, and the like. People that God places over you in certain realms. And here's what you know. None of them are God. Therefore, none of them are perfect. So... A husband, a parent, a teacher, a coach, a supervisor, a civic leader, a, gover- a government uh, a- official, the police, even the referees, and maybe even the people in a homeowner association. People don't like them. Board members of those. Uh, they're, they're, all, they're all imperfect. They're like shadows of the real thing. Let's just say this. You take the, the best human authority you, could, you can ever imagine, okay? And... and and they're just a, a mere reflection of God's perfect authority. They're, they're just a mere, as C.S. Lewis put it, a shadow of his perfect authority. So what about that valid struggle we have submitting to self-seeking authority? Self-seeking human authority. Or authority that only cares about itself and doesn't care about God's glory and doesn't care about our good? How should we respond to those human authorities even those ungodly ones. It's a very real where the rubber meets the road issue for many of us, actually all of us. But think about those who are impacted by unjust rulers. It's happening even as I speak. Or husbands who wield their authority like a club. 
or parents who run roughshod over their kids. Basically, what do we do with those who have, are abusing their authority? And can you submit out of reverence for Christ and respect for man to a government or a boss or a spouse, even a parent who does not share your faith or your values? Is it appropriate? Is it right? What do you do? How do you render to God and render to man? I think, first of all, what you need to do, you have to make sure some things are in place in your heart to begin with. First and foremost, that your allegiance is to Christ. Your first allegiance is to Christ. That your identity as a believer is rooted in Christ, therefore your identity ought to drive your action. That you worship God only. That you, that you attempt to not get God's confused. What did God say in Exodus 20? You shall have no other gods before me. Because we, we pick all these gods. The human heart is an idle factory. 1 John 5, 21 says, Guard yourself from idols. The last words of that, of that letter. But we have these idols that we go after, the idols of, of money and accumulation and accomplishment and even entertainment. We go after the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, as 1 John 2, 16 points out. You've got to uh, settle it that you're going to be a worshiper of God first, and here is what happens when you get that settled. You find that you can give honor even to those who seek to be worshipped as a God. Jesus was holding this coin... And he was telling them to give this coin to Caesar. Pay it. Pay the tax. He knew full well, he knew more than we would ever know about how, uh, how deep the idolatry went. Give the, the ruler that's claiming to be God what's due him. We have nothing of the sort where we live and so it's, it shouldn't be so tough but it is for us because we have this, this sinful pride that that wells up at the most inopportune times. We have got to, to know that our first allegiance is to Christ. But then you've got to obey those in authority over you as long as you're not asked to disregard God's word. If you're not being asked to go against God's word, then you need to obey those in authority because that's how God designed it. As long as there's no collision with, tr- with biblical truth, because if you don't want to because you're prideful or sinful, or uh, you've got to let the truth of obeying God override your issues. Responding honorably to dishonorable authority figures is God's plan to overcome evil with good. Go with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. There it is. It's because you, you have your allegiance first to Christ that you are now being subject. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor as supreme, to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 15, for this is the will of God. This is what God wants, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's exactly what Jesus did with his answer. And that's what he'll do with with your honoring even dishonorable authority figures. The other thing you need to make sure is that you obey God when the human authority clearly instructs you contrary to God's word. You need to resist evil and flee from it. You need to rebuke the unruly and reject those that are factious. Basically, you need to, to do what Thoreau coined as civil disobedience at times. 
when a regime turns hostile to the gospel, when you're commanded to do what the Bible forbids, let's say you're in China and they say you have to abort any child after a first child, you have that second child and that third and that fourth as God gives you children. If you're commanded to do what the Bible forbids, you don't do it. If a law forces you to sin, if it requires what the Bible condemns, if it condemns what the Bible requires, don't go along with it. Be like those three Hebrew men who went into the fiery furnace. Be like Daniel who refused to bow his knee. But just make sure that the issue that you're going to the wall for is worthy. Think of the political context of first century Rome. It was not a representative government. They owned you. If they conquered you, they took care of you. You had roads and aqueducts and you could travel pretty much anywhere in in the Roman Empire safely. But they owned your soul. That's what they thought. We have it so good in America. We don't have Pol Pots and Hitlers and Kim Jong-ils running around. By the way, Kim Jong-il, he just died uh, late last year. But now his son's in power. But this guy was praised as the creator of the universe. This guy was praised as having a supernatural birth. He claimed that North Korea was the most democratic, free, and respected nation on earth. He claims he invented the hamburger. He claims he was the greatest golfer in history. He claimed that no one in North Korea ever experienced poverty and everyone leads a happy life, when in reality people were regularly tortured under his regime and nearly all of them lived in collective work farms. There's an ungodly authority that wasn't bowing to God's authority. But we have it so good in America. We don't have rulers uh, killing people and using them as Malibu lights like Nero did. So, what do you do in America? Well, what you do is you stay active as a citizen because we have a representative government. But you only consider the regime an enemy if it is for the cause of the gospel, not for personal preferences. For biblical truth, yes. For personal preferences, no. Here's my stance in light of human authorities. I hope it's yours as well. I will preach the gospel no matter what. I will gather with believers no matter what. I will contend for righteousness no matter what. I will contend for the faith once for all given to the saints no matter what. I will stand with the unborn. I will stand for marriage. But what we've got to to get clarified in our thinking is that you do not have to claim a regime is illegitimate based on, on certain policies. What Jesus is saying, and I think Caesar is the perfect example, kind of the the worst possible uh, uh, example here is, look, this guy is even saying he's God and you still need to pay him tax. We have nothing of the sort. So what we need to get straightened out in our minds is we should honor our leaders more. We should pray for our leaders more than we do. We dishonor our leaders and therefore we dishonor God. I think if we, if we thought about our brothers and sisters around the world who are even being persecuted as we speak, we would honor our leaders more. 
because we would be honoring God more. And what about when the victims are children? What about when the victims are children who can't defend themselves and they're victims of unrighteous authority? We've got to defend the defenseless. I think of Amy Carmichael, a missionary to India, who who went into Hindu temples and rescued little girls that were being abused for religious purposes. God carries that pain and mercifully gives people a tender heart towards those who can't defend themselves. We've got to keep a tender heart, by the way. I'll close with this, and, and then the worship team will come back up. But let me, let me just talk to you about keeping a tender heart before God and man. It is so easy to get, get hardened towards human authorities because we're ignoring the fact that they were put there by God. And we're ignoring the fact that we belong to God and that we serve Christ. But here's what I think we should do. We need to let the Holy Spirit work in and through us with our cooperation And first of all, learn to constantly question our motives. You should question yourself and your motives rather than question everyone else's motives. Self-examination is good. That's what the Bible instructs us to do. And we need to be wary of ourselves. We need to be suspicious of ourselves. We need to distrust ourselves rather than everybody else. Because we know, I know, I have led myself astray more than anyone else ever has. The second thing is decide to seek wisdom before you jump, before you act. Seek counsel. Find out before you you take action against what you would consider unjust authority, are they unjust or do you just not like them? And the last thing is this. Rebel against your tendency to rebel. We are really good rebellers. You need to learn to rebel right. Rebel against yourself. I think that's what Jesus said when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Rebel against your tendency to rebel. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right, as 1 Peter 4.19 tells us. Go to the cross. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you took our rebellion to the cross and will one day pay back all rebels thank you Lord that we truly are aliens and strangers and sojourners here on earth thank you that that those who are in Christ are citizens of heaven Lord we seek to be the best possible citizens of our earthly cities Lord we want to be gospel changed people who willingly serve your purposes in this city and beyond for your glory and for mankind's good and so Lord we look to you the gentle humble one who took all our rebellion at the cross Lord we entrust our souls to you in doing what is right